And do you think that unto such as you, a maggot-minded, starved, fanatic crew, God gave a secret and denied it me? Well, well, what matters it? Believe that, too. Hi, everyone. I'm Phil Albertelli, and this is The Week in Doubt, a podcast for atheists, agnostics, and whoever. This is episode 191. Was Christopher Hitchens contemplating converting to Christianity? And I want to thank friend and listener Russ Ray for suggesting this show topic. He got in touch with me via the Weekend Out Facebook page and told me about a Christian author named Larry Taunton or Taunton who has a book coming out about his friendship with Christopher Hitchens and how supposedly, according to him, Hitchens had been considering converting to Christianity shortly before his death. Russ also made me aware of Taunton's recent appearance on Unbelievable, a Christian radio show hosted by Justin Briley. And I'm going to be playing that interview and giving a kind of point-by-point breakdown as we go along. But before we start, I just want to quickly take a moment to express my feelings going in. If you're a regular listener, then you're probably aware that I'm a great admirer of the late Christopher Hitchens and that I consider him one of my intellectual heroes. I'm sure many of you listening or watching feel the same way. As atheists or non-believers, Hitch was one of the greatest representatives we had, a gifted orator and debater, a person who was exceedingly bold but also extraordinarily eloquent. So for those of us who revere his memory, especially given that he was such a staunch and principled opponent of religion, there's something almost physically sickening about the idea of someone, perhaps a religious opportunist of sorts, publishing a book suggesting that Hitch was considering a deathbed conversion, the very thing he warned us not to believe. I'll play a clip later. But Hitch said several times in interviews he did shortly before his death to be wary of such rumors and that if he ever did convert, it would likely be because he was no longer himself or in his right mind due to the deteriorating effects of his illness. But we might as well start. So here's Larry Taunton's interview with Justin Briarly, And as I said, I'll jump in with some commentary when I think it's called for. I wanted to make space for um, a conversation I had recently with Larry Taunton of the Fixed Point Foundation. Larry has written a new book detailing his friendship with Christopher Hitchens and a couple of things about this interview I should warn you. Uh, this was actually recorded several weeks ago when Larry was over before the book was released and uh, he had a cold at the time and you'll hear that in the way he's talking. He'd lost his voice a bit but it's still it's still certainly audible. Um, but also since then uh, there's been a bit of controversy around the book in fact. Larry appeared on our own Newsnight programme here in the UK recently defending the book and uh, then uh, Lawrence Krauss was brought in opposite him afterwards though there was no right of reply on Larry's part uh, to what Krauss had to say in response. So there have been, as I think Larry anticipated, a number of detractors to the book in terms of the things he's saying about Christopher and his friendship with him. But anyway, here in Larry's own words is the story of his friendship with Christopher Hitchens when I spoke to him recently. Larry Taunton of the Fixed Point Foundation joins me now to talk about a new book that's coming out shortly on his relationship with one of the world's best-known atheists, Christopher Hitchens. Larry, thank you for joining me today. It's great to be with you, Justin. You had this very unusual friendship with Christopher Hitchens. 
Do you want to tell us about when it started? Certainly. And um, let me first acknowledge to your audience I've lost my voice crossing the Atlantic. <laughs> I think it has to do with your your uh, very cold weather for <laughs> someone like me from Alabama. But, uh, yes, um, uh, Christopher Hitchens was someone that I first met at the Edinburgh International Festival mm. in uh, 2008, I believe it was. And um, I was prepared to meet this um, this fire eater, um, <laughs> this uh, this man that I was sure we would brawl mm. in my hotel room. He was coming um, <laughs> to meet me to discuss the specifics of a debate we were doing with John Lennox um, there. And um, I, we immediately hit it off. Mm. Um, I liked him. Um, he wasn't um, the man that I expected from reading his book, God is Not Great. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I That book is a rant. Mm. And I told Christopher, I expected him to um, uh, to match the book. So this is where I first took offense while initially listening to this interview. I didn't care for the dismissive way that he characterizes God is not great as a rant. The book is intensely critical of religion, but it's also a very thoughtful and well-written book. Uh, full of great arguments and insights. My guess is he's simply dismissing it as a rant because he's a Christian and doesn't appreciate the scathing criticism or rebuke of religion. And I also like how he kind of expected Hitch to be some fire-breathing monster that was going to barge into his hotel room and try to devour him or something. Uh, You can be a vocal critic or a fierce and passionate debater and also be a decent, well-mannered human being when you're off the stage. I don't think that should be surprising. (laughs) And uh, and he didn't, at least not in private, not Mm. away from audiences, away from the cameras, uh, away from... uh, um, the uh, recordings. Um, Christopher was a very different individual. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but there's something I don't like about that also. Christopher was a very different person or individual, almost as if in a weird way he's suggesting that maybe the hitch we all knew wasn't the real hitch. And this goes back to what I was just saying. Is it really some great revelation that went off the debate stage? A fierce opponent might be well-mannered and civil, Hitch was often ruthless towards his adversaries, but in his own way, I think he was also a kind of classic English gentleman. When he wasn't intellectually pummeling his opponents or making them the target of his dry yet ruthless humor, he was actually rather polite and and laid back. I didn't know him personally, but from what I've always observed... And he never hid the fact that he had friends from all walks of life, including devoutly religious friends like Francis Collins. So I don't know why it should be surprising that he politely befriended Larry Taunton. And um, that would begin an interesting relationship between us that would continue until his death. The book that you've written is, in a sense, um, an account of that friendship and the man that you met, as opposed, as you say, to the public persona that was somewhat projected. Um, it's called The Faith of Christopher Hitchens. It's a it's a little bit of a, an interesting title. Many people will do a double take at that. Um, what do you mean by the faith of Christopher Hitchens? Well, Justin, we all have faith in something. Mm. And uh, as, as uh, strange as it may sound, um, atheists also have faith. They have a faith that there is no God. Mm. They have a faith that, that their own um, worldview will ultimately be validated. 
All right, Mr. Taunton, allow me to hitch-slap you. This is a very weak and a very hackneyed argument that we've probably all heard. Atheism requires faith, just like religion. And first off, let me say that most non-believers I know don't claim to know with 100% certainty that there is no God. There's that whole problem of trying to disprove a negative, the overlap between agnosticism and atheism, belief versus knowledge claim, etc. So most of us aren't saying we know for sure that there is no God. We just highly doubt the existence of things like a God or an afterlife, because that's the conclusion that our reason leads us to, based on things like the man-made and contradictory nature of religion, the lack of empirical evidence, our knowledge of evolution in the natural world, the fact that consciousness appears to be an emergent property of the brain, meaning when the meat brain dies, it's most likely lights out. So we base our worldview on evidence and reason, while yours is based on wish thinking and often childhood indoctrination. You may try to say that quote-unquote evidence or reason could lead one to belief in the Christian God, but usually seems to involve some extraordinary mental gymnastics and intellectual contortionist tricks to get there. Lack of a belief in an abstract higher power based on a lack of evidence is a far cry from believing in such a thing because it's what you want to be true or it makes you feel good or simply it's what you were taught to believe as a child. And um, Christopher Christopher uh, was a man of uh, a kind of faith too. He recognized that atheism, to quote him, in itself is nothing. Mm. Uh, he knew that uh, it was... Uh, a belief in nothingness. So at first he kind of seems to make my point for me when he says atheism is nothing. Well, in a sense it is anyway. It's simply a lack of belief in something, namely the lack of a belief in a higher power. And I'm reminded of the old non-stamp collector argument or how I think Hitch used to say you don't need a special name or designation for people who don't believe in tooth fairies or gins. It's simply an absence of belief. And I feel that when he describes atheism as a belief in nothing, he's trying to put a negative spin on it. Uh, as you might expect from a religious person. You know, why would anyone choose this desolate, empty worldview? And I think many believers try to make this point. But once again, it's not about what we want to be true. It's about reason and evidence or the lack thereof. And I don't see anything noble in believing in that which can't be proven simply because it's what you want to be true or because it comforts you somehow. And that you could no more found a life upon it than you could upon um, being a vegetarian or, or something like that. So Christopher was looking. He was a searcher. Uh, describing Hitch as a seeker or searcher, uh, well, maybe, I'm not sure, but I think you can be an atheist or a non-believer and a seeker, as contradictory as that might seem. I would call myself a seeker in a sense. I've studied a lot of different religions and spiritual traditions, etc., and I think that's a big part of why I'm a non-believer. The more you study all that stuff, the more you realize just how man-made it is. I still respect certain aspects of many of those traditions, but still at the end of the day, man-made. And comparing atheism to uh, vegetarianism or veganism and how you can't base a foundation for your life on it. Well, yeah, in a way that's true, because once again, atheism isn't a religion or a belief system or a moral philosophy. It's simply a word to describe an absence of 
belief. I mean, I guess in a weird way, you could consider it a belief system, but the beliefs that usually go along with being an atheist are usually beliefs based on empirical evidence, the scientific method and reason. Uh, but just because you're an atheist, that doesn't mean that life can't still be rich and full of meaning. I don't want to sugarcoat it. The idea that there may very well be nothing beyond the grave, it can be a bit daunting to say the least. But tough, if that's where the evidence points, it is what it is. We can either break down and give up or we can try to make the best of it and find meaning in things like art and nature, humor, friendship, group solidarity, embracing humanist values, etc. And in just enjoying the wonder of it all. A man who was searching for um, uh, that uh, thing which might ultimately sustain uh, and give meaning to his life. Mm. Um, patriotism, for instance, came to be something that was very important to him. Oddly enough, American um, patriotism. Mm. Um, he also was a strong believer in science. But towards the end of his life, uh, Christopher began exploring the Christian faith. That's an awfully big claim. Christopher learned that he could use his profession uh, as a way of sort of secretly investigating <laughs> personal questions. Mm. Um, you can, for instance, in your role, mm. um, approach people of other worldviews strictly for professional reasons. Sure. But while personally really investigating questions that you have. Mm. That might be the first sensible thing I've heard this guy say. I actually do agree with that, and I think it's a good thing. Part of the nature of a debate or engaging in a dialogue is that it helps test the mettle of your own ideas, and hopefully, if you're open-minded, you can also learn something from the other side, too. Uh, Christopher did this kind of thing. Uh, and in a chapter of the book that I call Undercover, uh, Christopher, after the publication of God is Not Great, How Religion Poisons Everything. On a side note, I love the way the title God is Not Great always sticks in the craw of uh, believers and apologists. They always say it like they're choking on poison. Um, he began engaging evangelicals, Southern uh, evangelicals in particular, that is to say, um, the American South. And... Um, you know, he would, would make a show of, you know, this. I'm asking these questions strictly for for <laughs> investigative reasons. Yeah. But I think Christopher was actually personally um, investigating questions he had, um, questions about God, questions about the validity um, of the Bible. Mm. A bit of a mind reader, are we? Hitchens was always debating religious folks, and maybe he was honestly curious about their beliefs. I enjoy talking about religion, too. Doesn't mean I'm on the verge of conversion. The validity of the Bible, really? Hitchens was one of the most skilled people out there when it came to illuminating the contradictions barbarism, and generally speaking, the man-made nature of religious texts, specifically the Bible. I mean, in fairness, I wasn't hanging out with this guy in Hitchens. Maybe there's something to what he's saying, but I'm certainly not sold yet. Questions about what it is that makes um, evangelicals tick mm. um, and their belief in, in the person of Jesus Christ. So Christopher and I took two lengthy road trips after his diagnosis with esophageal cancer. Um, and during those road trips, we studied the Gospel of John. The first road trip was 12 hours. It was from his home in D.C. to my home in Birmingham, Alabama. 
And we didn't study the Gospel of John the whole way, <laughs> three or four hours, I suppose. When I first listened to this interview, I kept thinking, how do you study a biblical text during a road trip? Are they both holding Bibles while the car drives itself? And uh, pretty soon that could become a reality. Uh, well, I guess in fairness, they could have just been having a lengthy discussion on the subject of the Gospel of John. And once again, I'm thinking, I love talking about religion. I love watching religious documentaries. That doesn't mean I'm on the verge of conversion. I'm not saying Christopher Hitchens didn't want to talk about these things. Quite the contrary. He may have found it very interesting and engaging. It just doesn't necessarily mean he was contemplating conversion. Hitch knew a lot about religion. My guess is it's at least in part because he found the subject interesting that he managed to accrue or accumulate all that knowledge. I don't necessarily think that an intellectual or philosophical curiosity towards religion was something new that sprang up near the end because he was facing his own mortality. And then a month later, um, we did it from Billings to West Yellowstone, Montana, through Yellowstone National Park. A lovely and, setting to, uh, to have an extended Bible study. <laughs> yeah, and that one was a little shorter because uh, we were going through John chapter 2, but the windy roads mm. were making him very nauseated. Sure. But there will be those who'd say, oh, Christopher didn't want to do that. And, and uh, well, if he didn't, he had an odd way of showing it yeah. because he sought me out mm. and he sought out these types of... Um, um, opportunities, yeah. yes. And he sought out discussions and debates with evangelicals and apologists while he was healthy, too. Yeah, very, very interesting. He famously said, or was quoted to have said, if I appear at any point to have had some kind of deathbed conversion, please assume that it uh, really isn't what I want. It's some, you know... Cancer's like my, gone to my brain. Cancer's gone to my brain, all of that. <laughs> I actually brought this very thing up when Russ was telling me about this interview. I said, I remember Hitchens warning against rumors of a deathbed conversion. Actually, I believe I mentioned it at the top of this uh, show, too. Well, I might as well play the clip now. Oh, and I want to apologize beforehand for the absolutely horrendous audio. It was, even by my standards, it's kind of beyond my control. This is basically how the audio from the original source sounds. Listen for a really annoying buzzing sound. Um, answer the question that David Wolpe and I were talking about the other day, which is, do you find it insulting for people to pray for you? No, no, I mean, it's, it's, I take it kindly on the assumption that people are praying for my recovery. Yes, I, when, that's what I meant. I, many of them say, well, not for you to recover. For not? Not, no, but to be saved. Ah, I would imagine that there are an extraordinarily large number of people who are hoping for some uh, a bull yeah. to be issued from DuPont Circle saying, yes, I now realize there are my ways, and I believe in the salvation of Jesus or something. Well, now might be the time to say, I guess, that um, in the event of anyone ever reading or hearing a rumor of any such thing being made, it, wouldn't, it would not have been made by me. Are you actually worried about I mean, that? The, well, worried the, that people, well, uh, the entity making such a remark might be you know, a raving, terrified um, person who has, whose cancer spread to the brain. I can't guarantee that such an entity would make such a ridiculous remark, but no, no one recognizable as myself would ever make such a I see. Remark. So you're worried about an internal change. Oh, that's that's what I think, that, as Jeeves says to Bertie Worcester, when Bertie says, look, um, I quite see that, Jeeves, but I mean, suppose your family saw you on Boat Race Night in Trafalgar Square in an advanced stage of inebriation 
um, waving your trousers in the air. As Matt Seven replies, well, the contingencies are remote ones. <laughs> now back to the Justin Briley, Larry Totten interview. And that, I have a feeling, is the way some people will cast your book as saying, oh, well, it's very difficult for him to respond after the fact, you know, from, from, from his grave. And, and from his own words, he said he seemed to be very demonstrative about the fact that if, if he ever appeared to have any waning of his atheistic uh, perspective, then, then people should discount that. Well said, Justin. Thanks for summing that up. Yes, uh, it's interesting, Justin, that you should mention that. Oh, is it? Well, I'm glad someone brought it up. You wrote a whole book claiming he was considering converting to Christianity. Someone should have brought up the fact that he warned against such claims. Because uh, the very first time, I believe Christopher said that, was on um, Charlie Rose, a show um, in the uh, the U.S. television show. And uh, shortly thereafter, I was talking to him on the phone, and I said, Christopher, what's up with the, if I convert, the it means the cancer has gone to my brain. What's up with it? It seems pretty obvious to me. Isn't it rather understandable that someone who argued so staunchly against religion wouldn't want people generating rumors about a deathbed conversion after he passes and isn't around anymore to be able to refute such claims? And he said, um, so you saw that? And I said, I did. And he seemed a little embarrassed by it. Mm. And I said, I mean, you're a man who professes um, to be open a free to thinker. possibilities, yes, mm, mm. and to being persuaded by evidence. And now you've just said that no amount of evidence will ever make <laughs> me change my mind. What evidence are you talking about? Christopher Hitchens didn't believe in man-made religions and their supernatural claims. What possible evidence was going to come about in his final days that hadn't revealed itself earlier? Were the skies suddenly going to part and some big Monty Python-esque god uh, would come popping out? Oh, let me guess, maybe you meant some inner revelation, Jesus suddenly giving some dying man an inner deathbed epiphany. Can such a thing really be considered evidence? Seems more like a subjective experience that's open to interpretation. But either way, it's somewhat moot since I don't recall Hitchens ever even pretending to have had such an experience. I also think it's fascinating that, um, that Christopher wasn't saying, uh, say in the case of a Charles Darwin or Lady Hope mm. claimed some 30 years or so after his death that he had had this deathbed conversion, for which there's no evidence. Mm. Christopher wasn't saying, if somebody claims I converted, yeah. don't believe him. Mm -hmm. What he said was, if I do something <laughs> that appears to be a conversion, now that's a very yeah. interesting mm. difference. Not really. I think you're splitting hairs. I always took it to mean exactly what he said, that if he did convert, it would have to be as a result of his condition deteriorating to the point where he was no longer himself, meaning maybe his mental faculties would have deteriorated and he wasn't thinking right, or maybe even he just would have been so broken and weakened that he might be tempted to make an irrational decision that he otherwise would not have made if his faculties and resolve had not been ravaged by illness. I think it was a really honest and insightful thing for Hitchens to say, if I was dying, I'm not 100% sure that I wouldn't try to grasp onto something at the end. Maybe just out of animal fear or a desire for comfort. I hope not. I think it would be a show of weakness and it would be a betrayal of my principles. 
even if somewhat understandable, it would still ultimately be a surrender to the irrational. He was preparing people for the possibility that he might actually convert. <laughs> yeah, you dummy, that he might convert because he might find himself in a deteriorated state where he was a pale shadow of his former self, incapable of the same decision-making capabilities. Poopy head. And listen to these two hyenas cackle, laughing it up at the idea of a principled atheist being broken to the point of conversion. But I think it was also Christopher's way, he was very prideful of saying essentially this, if I convert, I still want to remain the hero of the atheist movement. <laughs> Laugh it up, boys. And once again, he's saying it wouldn't be, quote unquote, him converting. It would be a sickened husk ravaged by disease and not in its right mind. What don't you get about that? It's as if he's saying the real me still holds the same principles that I always have. The broken thing that converted, and let's not forget it's a hypothetical scenario, would not be him. I, I think it's actually a sad situation to, to think about. And there's something really off-putting about these guys laughing gleefully while discussing it. He wanted to have it both ways. That's right. Well, he did. <laughs> he did. So you were able to, to have this insight that many people wouldn't have had of, of Christopher off stage um, when the lights have gone off and so on. And overall, you think then that there was something of a softening towards the concept of religion that many people who would have read his book and thought that was his last word on the subject would be very surprised by. Yes. I mean, Christopher would, you know, give the impression on stage or perhaps even in his articles that he hated religious people. Mm. Oh, please. Francis Collins, Douglas Wilson, apparently you, Larry, he had Christian friends. He hated things like indoctrination, archaic religious barbarism, and all-around backwards thinking. Not people just because they happened to be religious. Uh, and I don't use the word lightly. I mean, um, there are those who, who, to this day, think Christopher hated Christians, mm. believers. But even after our debate, for instance, in Montana, and we decided to debate there because Christopher had never been to Montana. And he suggested, after a, an engagement to Birmingham, Alabama, he said, why don't we debate? And I said, well, it typically takes about six months to a year <laughs> to plan something like that. Six months to a year to plan a debate? Find a venue, get a couple of podiums, and flap your gums back and forth at each other. Just kidding. I don't know how long it actually takes to plan a debate. Just sounds weird. He said, well... My traveling days are coming to an end. I don't. I have maybe six more weeks left that I'll be able to do something. Yeah. And I said, Christopher, didn't you tell me that Montana was the only state of the contiguous United States you'd never been to and that you regretted it? And he said, yes. And I said, well, it just so happens there's a group in Montana that's been asking us to do something there. Why don't we debate there? Mm -hmm. So we did. Mm -hmm. And um, Christopher's, you know, breathing fire from the stage. And, <laughs> and as soon as the debate is over, he crosses the stage, shakes my hand, and he says, you are quite good tonight. Um, <laughs> are we having dinner? I'm pretty sure that was his usual modus operandi. He used to go out to dinner with Dinesh D'Souza, for Christ's sake. Uh, no pun intended. And for the next several hours, we were at dinner. And, and, and to be honest, I was trying to get him to his hotel room. Because I'd had friends who traveled thousands of miles mm. to support me in this debate. And Christopher 
um, was enjoying everyone so much mm. that I couldn't break him away from them <laughs> and get him off to his hotel room to bed so that I could go and meet with them, you know, in a more intimate mm. um, setting. Um, no, Christopher, Christopher's views changed tremendously. Granted, I wasn't there, but really changed tremendously based on what? That he enjoyed discussing religion during car rides and that he shook your hand after a debate, as was his custom. And, uh, and you know, I, I think I can demonstrate these things just through the things he said and did publicly. Mm. For instance, um, part of my thesis in this book is that atheism is not what defined Christopher. It's not what defines me either. Most of us are multifaceted with many different interests, experiences, and factors that make up who we are. I was raised Catholic, but over time, starting from an early age, my reason eroded my faith. But that lack of faith isn't the be-all, end-all of who I am. It's just one factor. Hitchens was a journalist, an author, a biographer, a student of politics and history, and also, of course, a husband and a dad. His lack of belief in a deity was just one aspect of who he was. If you try to unlock him with that key, you'll find it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Why not? Because, um, well, if it did, why did he support the George W. Bush administration mm. while many on the left weren't going to support him? Under any circumstances. Yeah, yeah Justin. Uh, what does that have to do with anything? Although many atheists lean left politically, I would describe myself as an independent who leans left on many issues. That doesn't mean that you have to be in lockstep with a political party in order to be an atheist. After all, we're supposed to be free thinkers, right? It's that independence of thought that led many of us down the skeptical path in the first place. Technically, you can be an atheist of any or no political affiliation. There's libertarian atheists like Michael Shermer, and I'm sure there's even some conservative atheists out there too. For some reason, Justicar just came to mind. Not sure if he's a libertarian or what. He's a YouTuber I enjoy watching, a former military, former law enforcement, and happens to be gay. He's a staunch atheist who also loves American history and studying the Constitution and is very pro-Second Amendment. So atheists aren't one monolithic thing when it comes to their political views. That, 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 there were many aspects of his character, actually, which were at odds with the soci sociological preferences of most of the people he, who, exactly. who, who adored him. Yeah. Exactly. And many on the left would never support anything George W. Bush did because he was a, a Christian. Well, Christopher would and did. Mm. And then there's this odd instance where he goes on Bill Maher, which is a well-known show in the mm. uh, the U.S. Hosted and, by a, a well-known atheist. Hosted himself. by a well-known atheist who I think saw Christopher as a bit of a hero. Yeah. And Christopher comes on his show, and uh, you th can see that Maher thinks – you can, by the way, Google this. Um, yeah. Find it on YouTube. And, uh, and I think he thinks we're going to be friends because yeah. we're both atheists. Yeah. And, um, we're on the same side. We're on the same side. Christopher mauls him. <laughs> and he says, I've watched your show. Um, you do what I see so many like you do. You tell, um, you go for the low-hanging fruit and you tell George Bush jokes. And I've decided this is the joke that stupid people tell. <laughs> wow. And then the audience <laughs> poos. 
and he gives them the middle finger and says, F you. It's funny. I actually do remember that appearance, and I think that was my first impression of Christopher Hitchens, him on real time giving the audience the finger. I'm not sure how accurate Larry Taunton is in his description of what transpired. I think Hitch and Bill did clash a bit, and Bill wasn't expecting it. Uh, but so what? That was Hitch. He was no one's pet monkey. He said what he thought. And Larry seems to be describing it as if this was Bill and Hitch's first encounter. They already knew each other. Hitchens had been on Politically Incorrect, Bill's old show, numerous times. And um, Margo's white. <laughs> this isn't going the way I thought it would go. It wouldn't go the way he thought it would. And then he does it again. And um, so now the way I think the left has interpreted Christopher is say, ah, he's a contrarian. Mm. He would just occasionally yeah. do things like this. He, he wanted a, an argument, essentially. <laughs> They're wrong. There was a consistency in this. If you're trying to make these things make sense from an atheistic point of view, mm. it doesn't hold. Oh, give me a break. Hitchens was a journalist who had traveled the globe and had strong opinions about world politics. He had a certain opinion about whether or not we should have invaded Iraq and attempted to overthrow Saddam Hussein. Uh why do you think that's necessarily in opposition to an atheistic worldview? Once again, atheism isn't a political stance. It's merely a label describing one's lack of belief in a god. But if you interpret him as a man who had decided that his patriotism was very important to him, then you begin to understand why he was willing to ally himself with evangelicals mm. like George W. Bush and like many Southern evangelicals who he believed rightly understood the political and global landscape yeah. and knew who the real enemies were. And this this is something that mattered to Christopher a great deal. So atheism didn't define yeah. him. Yeah. Was he an atheist? Certainly. Glad to hear you admit it. Did it define him? Absolutely not. And in that sense, quite different to the other... Um, pantheon of atheists that he was often put next to in terms of the so-called four horsemen oh really richard dawkins atheist is also an acclaimed evolutionary biologist sam harris an atheist but also has an interest in eastern religion and practices meditation daniel dennett an atheist but also a professor and philosopher i don't think those guys are one-dimensional either richard dawkins sam harris and dan dennett being the other three what will his 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 former horse horsemen colleagues make of your book? Um, yeah, I know three, or rather, knew three of the four ho horsemen. Um, Richard Dawkins, I know rather well. Christopher, of course, I knew very well. Um, and I debated Dan Dennett on Al Jazeera last year. Nice man, by the way. Mm. First time I'd ever met him. Sam Harris, I've never met. Mm. His writings would give the impression that he's an ideologue. An ideologue. Someone who zealously advocates an ideology. Pot meat kettle, Mr. Taunton. So he'll probably hate the book. <clears throat> I think if they read it, mm. they'll see that I treat Christopher respectfully. I, I make no lady hope-like claims regarding Christopher. Okay. I am claiming um, that Christopher was seriously contemplating conversion. Did he? It's impossible for any of us to know the answer to that. Well, there's a little bit of intellectual honesty. Still not sold on the idea that he was really contemplating conversion. Perhaps that's just a bit of wishful thinking and seeing through Christian lenses on your part. 
but hey, I wasn't there. Um, but uh, and his wife, Carol Blue, says that, you know, that if he certainly didn't say anything to give that in- mm-hmm. indication. And I believe her. Well, as far as I know, Christopher Hitchens and his wife had a very close and loving relationship. So the fact that he never mentioned that he had converted to her says a lot to me. I'd be much more likely to trust her opinion on that rather than um, Larry Taunton's. Did he secretly discuss that he was flirting with the idea of conversion with his wife? I have no idea. Based on Taunton's own description of her response, it sounds like he didn't mention anything about conversion to her. And I imagine he probably shared many of his innermost thoughts with her. And so if he was dabbling with the idea of conversion, he probably would have told her. And I hope not. I know that might sound weird to some. Why wouldn't you want this guy to embrace something meaningful in his last hours or to find a sense of salvation or whatever? But for me, Christopher Hitchens led a very meaningful life and he had very strong principles. And I think it would be sad if out of fear or desperation, he gave up those principles in the end. And I'm not convinced that he did. Anyone else find this topic kind of depressing? Anyway, I'm going to end it here. You guys know the drill. You can like the Facebook page, follow the show on Twitter, leave a review or rate the show through iTunes. Check out the YouTube channel. Maybe you're doing that now. If you want to support the show monetarily, you can use the PayPal widget at the bottom of the Podbean page. There's all that alliteration. Or you can go to patreon.com slash theweekendout and support the show for as little as 99 cents a month and stop anytime you want. And speaking of that, a couple weeks back, I think it was now, on the Weekend Out Facebook page, I thanked John Steinheimer and Lizzie for becoming Patreon supporters because I couldn't remember if I had thanked them previously. So thanks, guys. And also thanks to to all the other guys who have been supporting the show now for for quite some time. Uh, I think there's eight of you guys now. I appreciate it very much. You guys pretty much pay for the monthly costs of hosting the feed for this show. So... Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, guys, until next week.